0: Okay, we're live now, back here with Peter. How you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm actually really excited for this because I have been renting out the studio now for a couple of weeks. We did the first test run here last week with uh, two of my colleagues, Vincent Keisha. You're the first person who's actually come back here who I've originally interviewed through. Oh, okay. so, yeah. And honestly, I thought it was perfect because... We had a conversation not that long ago uh, where I had you on the podcast for your Zoom call and then I walked away from that podcast and I realized, whole, I actually fucking learned a whole lot about this sort of stuff then. And then because I didn't know a whole lot about you, I started interviewing other fighters on my podcast yeah. and I realized you'd worked with a whole bunch of people. So, yeah, it's I, I mean, honestly, for someone such as yourself, uh, you know, you're a nutritionist. I wanted to ask, man, how do you get your clients? Um. To be honest
1: with you, the the, the power of social media is just crazy because, like, you know, I've sort of learned once you put some sort of quality content out on your page and you're doing informative stuff, people doesn't actually come to you. And um, as you probably see, I've got fighters from all over now, you know, Russia, South Africa, Australia. And, yeah, it's it's been a pretty crazy journey the past year or so as it's, uh, yeah,
0: it's sort of just blown up the past year. And, yeah, it's that's great because, I mean, if you've got fighters literally all over the globe, you know, and one's competing, like, non-stop, how do you, like, man, how does someone such as yourself, like, manage your day? How do you manage your time with all these clients that you have under your belt? Um, You've got to be
1: organised. You've got to, like, have a bit of a structure. So, I, I like I tend to break it down into, you know, I have Australian clients, I, I have UK, Europe clients, and I sort of manage the time around that. Obviously, the time difference, quite lucky in Perth because... Yeah. It's only your UK is only eight hours behind, so it's it's not that bad of a time difference, but it is a you know wake up and go to bed kind of job because you just constantly you know with the time difference, but it's a it's a good problem to have. It's a mm-hmm. it's a it's an, in, an interesting job at the moment, especially with especially COVID happening and um, all the lockdowns getting lifted there's more events coming up so it's getting getting
0: busy and busy at the moment yeah we it's it's you're definitely right about that especially here in perth we're lucky because we just had a past weekend we had an eternal event here um obviously on the weekend you know we've got whole bunch of other other state cards coming back. It's a whole lot of more tie fights. I've got a few friends fighting coming up soon. Instead of especially your boy Jack Lyons yeah. as well. He's, oh close. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. Shot, yeah. shout out to Jack, yeah, nutritionist sure, man. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he mentioned you on the last podcast. I was like, damn, you've got everyone all <laughs> over the state. And all that, but like, I wanted to ask you also from the time you first started working as a nutritionist. Yeah to the point you're at now like what was the journey in getting all these clients like did you have to go to them personally talk to them or did you reach out to them do you know what the
1: journey my journey's been crazy because I've I've had conditioned nutrition for four or five years now oh. and it's always been like a on and off kind of thing For up until probably let say the past year where it was a bit of like a, a side job where it wasn't a full time
0: income okay so and then there's a lot sorry I just want to ask what were you doing full time then at the time
1: so I was just doing all the so when I came over here, I was on a work and holiday visa, so I was just in and out of just all kinds of crazy jobs. When I lived in Melbourne, working <laughs> on the trams, literally just like <laughs> <laughs> like the craziest jobs you can think of. I was doing, and then I always had me condition nutrition working with a few fighters, and then I think I think with my journey it's a lot of it's trial and error. Like you've got to you've got to realize that like you're gonna fail quite a lot, and a lot of things you're gonna make or design aren't gonna work, and you just gotta you just gotta love what you do and just keep at it and keep yeah. at it and i think you know my business is a prime example of just you love what you do, you keep on going mm-hmm. and the rewards pay off in the end and in terms of fighter it's just yeah it's it literally just comes from people following you from your content so you're putting good content out mm-hmm. and it's informative and it's not too sciencey and people can actually understand it then you know people share it and then um Often when I, I used to get new followers, I'd send them some free information, and it's just it's just a spiral effect. Really, I think once you get like, I think when you first start a business, there's always that threshold where
0: you push and push and push, and once uh. you
1: sort break that little barrier, everything yeah. sort of just clicks into place. Yeah, and T- it's just a spiral effect.
0: Yeah, look, honestly, tell me, I can, I can that that thing you just said about but push and push and pressure—it's probably the most reliable thing we could uh, I could give you right now because when I first started this podcast. All we cared about was just getting content out there. Like, in this day and age, I am telling people all the time, whatever you're doing, look, information is free. There are people out there who are small, more smarter than you, more better than you. All you got to do is just get your stuff out there as much as you can. Eventually it happens. And it was like how we met in the first place because yeah. we, I think you came on around episode 80-something so I'd already done 80 episodes before that. And then you just reached out and I was yeah. like, awesome. We've got another guest because for me on this podcast, all I do is I'm constantly obviously like you reaching out to people. I'm trying to find a new guest yeah. each week, someone constantly, even if it's someone I've had on before just to keep the content going. That's the most important thing to me. And what I was I saying now is like, it's gotten to this point where when you like keep pushing, eventually like it grows, but, like oh man we could both for like you've yeah. done this for five years yeah it's,
1: it's been it's been a <laughs> five-year journey and i think when you go through that period where like like i've like i have failed many times on doing yeah. things of like volunteer for stuff it hasn't worked out to created you know i've created ebooks I think oh this is going to be perfect this is going to be the new thing and it just hasn't worked as long as you just don't get down from the failures and keep getting back up and back up, yeah. um, so it's a bit, a bit motivational kind of stuff, but I, I believe that if you stick at it and you yeah. love what you do, the yeah. results will pay off in the end.
0: I actually do believe that when it comes to doing the things you love, like for someone who's they found their real passion, motivation is. You know, it's very fickle. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a Monday where you wake up, you've had a great, you had a Sunday where you chilled and Monday comes and then fucking, all right, we can get all this shit done. And then thir- Thursday comes and you've had a shit night's sleep and then you're just going to come down to really, you know, the, the discipline of yeah. things, you know, that's when you... Anyway, um, so we were speaking about content. And honestly, one thing that's the reason why I, I really think that gets you at, get out there the most is the way that you put your content out as well on Instagram. So basically I'll, i wanted to spend a good chunk of this podcast obviously you know talking about some of the things that you you posted yep. now starting with the most recent one you put up um about epsom salts yeah now i read through that and i just i definitely learned a few things for for sure now for someone personally myself i've done epsom salts about two maybe three times in my life um did they help? Oh, I felt like that. I felt like they helped to some degree. I mean, ease some muscle soreness, but for me, I felt like. That it was just a miniature condensed version of like a um, a float tank. Yeah, have you, have you ever used one of those I've before? I've never
1: actually used one, though. No. Oh, okay,
0: uh-huh. well, that's, that's cool. stuff is something to try. Uh-huh. I've used them a couple of times in my life, and I felt like they're pretty much like an Epsom buff on steroids, uh-huh. pretty much. So, uh, honestly, I just wanted to, um, based on that, so for the viewers, based on that social media post that you put out, can you explain, like, uh, should you know, fighters be using Epsom salt buffs? So, the whole premise of it.
1: Um, a lot of fighters use the Epsom salt because he thinks that it enhances the the water loss when they're doing the water cut. So, they did a study where it was, I think it was 11 MMA athletes, and did a protocol where you've had a hot water bath at 37 degrees, or did an Epsom salt bath with around 2 kilos of Epsom salts, mm-hmm. and the bath protocol... Um, was twenty minutes in the bath and then forty minutes hour up. Did that twice. Typically what a fighter would do when they're doing a water cut if apart from say doing a sauna and um they found out that the there was no difference in body weight loss. There was was exa- exactly the same. Um, the whole premise of having Epsom self is to do with the osmotic pressure. So um basically I'll go into sort of physics, it's like the the, the fluids in the body to the fluids outside in the water and with the salt that's meant to enhance that water loss from the body mm-hmm. and yeah this study showed that there was no difference but they only used two kilos of salt in 125 liters of water so what the I think what that group are trying to do now is add a bigger concentration because I think it was only um I can't remember, it was like a couple of percent of like the the volume to the bath so um, maybe if they add more but then you've got to think you got to think about it. Where you know this is a guy you, you want to be buying ten kilos worth of salt and put it in your bath when you're doing a water. Yeah. Is is, is, it, is it practical? Probably not. But is it going to do any harm? Probably not. But just I I, I recommend to my guys just just use the hot water bath. Yeah. Um. I, I think it's a lot of things. A lot of I wouldn't say broke signs, but people you know the Epsom salt thing's been around for a, a while, but um. In terms of the actual water cuts, I don't see there being much yeah. to be sure.
0: Now, I mean, out of all the fighters I usually talk to, I always ask him about weight cutting. Weight cutting is yeah. like, you know, do you want to do you cut weight? Do you cut much weight? You know, some guys they generally agree on the concept of a hot bath. Um because and I usually ask them why is it that you like to take the hot bath you know rather than you know a sweat it a sauna or some usually use the sauna it's just because they said that they usually believe there's a little bit of a maybe it's a physiological or psychological effect of you know you're not really working the body is sort of losing it naturally yeah and if they pretty much you know they've worked their body um, you know they're cycling they say you're on a bike and you got the sweatsuit on and you're cycling to 30, 40 minutes and it's a day before an event and all that, you're trying to sweat it out. Usually they go for the bath because they're physically, if they're actually moving themselves to sweat, it's going to be a lot more harder to rehydrate. Is there anything you can add to that? Well,
1: in terms of you're doing it actively, say for example on fight week and you're going low carb and you haven't had any carbs, you're you're fiber depleted and then you're trying to lose that weight from doing exercise, it's just going to be a lot harder to mm-hmm. do then you know you're just going to be knackered mm-hmm. and there's it's a little bit more dangerous when you're doing like a bigger water cut if you're doing like active st- have you seen any of the videos with um like jordan the fight dietitian? he does like reviews of weight cuts oh, and yeah, so he's yeah, done yeah. he's done one on with darren till who's from Liverpool, and like he had to lose a certain amount of weight and he was doing it actively and that's just like so bad when you're doing a big cup because the body's trying to pull energy from places, and you know there's nothing there. Yeah. So um I wouldn't, rec- I don't recommend to any of my guys to do any sort of active sweating, mm-hmm. and it's sort of breaking the the myth as well because you get quite a lot of guys like even like five days out oh, should I start putting the sweaty on. It's like no, because it's it's just going to be you just have to educate. them. It's just it's just mm-hmm. water. Weight. You don't do that like the night before. You don't really need to do that mm-hmm. a few weeks out, but. In terms of the water coat, i definitely offer the hot bath over the sauna only because you can control the temperature Um, you in the sauna it's all obviously it's all about accessibility like yeah. some guys haven't got access to the bath and stuff like that but with a sony practically your whole body is like cooking so to speak so if you're in a hot bath you can c- control your head you can put some ice on it you know it, it's a little bit more it's easier and it's more controlled than the sauna because a lot of the saunas don't have a temperature gauge, and it's not it's
0: not accurate and stuff like that. Oh. It's uh well, it's strange you put that because I felt like the sauna was always the sort of like a go to for a lot of fighters. Yeah. Really, you literally just walk in, you sit down. Like, there's people that even go to the bloody extreme that like literally cycle for a cycling bike in the sauna. <laughs> I've seen a couple of do- guys yeah. do that. And you see them like, back in the old school days trying to. If they had like a super drastic weight cut, they would chuck a bike in the sauna, or if like this one time, I was like, "This swear to God, this guy had a death wish." Where he told me about the time where he said he had to drop, I think it was like seven, eight kilos worth of water in a space. Yeah, uh, I heard that, and I was like, "Jesus Christ!" It was a space of just under forty-eight hours, and he chucked on a hot suit, got a bike, put it in the sauna, <laughs> and did it. But he did it in like twenty-minute intervals. Like so, uh, it was mad. It was. I Madness. think the thing with the sauna as well, like, if you looked
1: at, if you looked at the two of them, you think hot bath or sauna, where you're most likely going to lose the most water, you'd probably think, oh, the sauna, because yeah. naturally, but it may take a little bit longer with the hot bath, but it's just a lot more controlled, it's, yeah. you know, you have someone around you, it's just, yeah, I, I try not to recommend the sauna, but it's all dependent on what the, because, you know, I work online so some guys don't have access to a bath you know but as long as you have someone with you and you're in constant communication then and it's not a massive water cut either if it's a couple of kilos mm-hmm. that's that's okay but once it gets over that like five plus percent of your body mass loss through a water cut, it gets a little bit start going into sort of sketchy
0: regions and Mm. well it's all good because i think when we had the last conversation weight cutting was definitely a massive conversation that we had about it. and then actually someone hit me up after the uh after that conversation and we talked a big strong point about um you know what's like the max amount of body weight you should be able to like lose it, it, uh, something like five lines.
1: five five percent yeah probably like the the cutoff point you want to go yeah. to yeah um but as you know yourself, a lot of guys go way further than that. Oh, so, yeah. you know, say so you get a 70-kilo guy, it's 5%. So that is,
0: that's like three and a half kilos. Yeah. If they're weighing in the 70, So, yeah, about three and a half kilos. True. So when we came off that last podcast, it was, it, by the way, guys, if you haven't listened to that podcast, please go ahead. It was top-notch stuff. Um, So someone actually asked me, when we talked about that, you know, what we just explained just then, does that vary from male to female, though? It, do, it does a little... You don't want to be doing a really big water cut with a female, only okay. because naturally
1: a female has less total body water. Mm-hmm. They have more fat mass, typically compared to males, and they they have less, where it's like, heat storage, so their core temperature rises quicker than the, uh, than a male. Oh. So, it, so trying to break it down to make it a bit easier, say, like, a think of a smoker, think of a really small smoker mm-hmm. and you, you, you put the coals in like, that's gonna heat up quicker than if you had a really big mm. smoker, it'll take a little bit longer. Just say a female's got a smaller capacity for heat storage or heat the, the, the rising core temperature's quicker than the male. So you don't really wanna be doing a massive water for females and obviously stuff with the you know, menstrual cycle, like certain periods where they tend to have less total body water so at the end of their cycle, core cool mm-hmm. temperature can go up by, like, 0.3 to 0.5 degrees. So, and their total body water drops. So, if they're in that stage and they're doing a water cut, they're prone to potential, you know, heat illnesses and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. it's very... I wouldn't say it takes a lot more planning, but it's, you have to be a lot more... a lot. You have to be very careful with female fighters, and that's when you have to track the cycles and, you know because that can make a big difference when it comes to the water course. Mm-hmm.
0: So this was also a question that I had from a client just in general off, yeah. the, off the top of my head. Now, I'm p- putting it out there, guys, personal trainer myself. I My background in nutrition is not as high. Obviously, I, that's why I have people like Peter on the show so I can learn as much as I can because obviously I work in a UFC gym as so a fight gym. So I've asked a few people this uh, take and I, th- I think that's her tell me the jury's still out there sometimes. But uh, let's say a woman goes through a cycle, okay? Um, how does does her nutrition have to vary based on where she is during the cycle?
1: Yeah, so there's certain periods where carbohydrate recommendations can go up slightly, mm-hmm. and protein requirements go up slightly, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. It's not like a massive difference. Yeah. It's not something yeah. like you know, you yeah. know, having three grams per kilogram to yeah. six grams per
0: kilogram. Like, it's, it's glad you put that because I know that obviously when women go through their cycle, there's obviously, obviously, we had a female here. She could better explain. <laughs> 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 um, the the way they go for the cycle. There's blood loss, yeah. and you know, I well, I used to say, well, if you feel like it's really bad, then obviously people recommend iron. Yeah. you know, for a woman who's going through that, um, to supplement, but you know, it's. With the nutrition, I've always, from what I've se- seen a standpoint, it's like, it's not like a huge, huge, like, oh, you need to be having this oh, much um, soup on this day. Because no. it was like when people tell me about things like creatine, people say, oh, creatine causes bloating. Yeah, but the bloating's almost non, uh, what is it? Almost non, it's like 0.2%. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not huge, you know what I mean? So uh, that's just what I thought I was asking. So yeah, go on, keep going.
1: Yeah, so... Um yeah, there's not, there's not a massive, as you said, there's not a massive difference in terms of that. That's why with, um, say, if a female fighter comes to me, it's always very important to get some sort of body fat scan, blood okay. work, to see where we're at, because I've had incidents in, in the past where, you know, with female physiology, it's, it's a lot more complicated to males. And, you know, I've had to make calls where... I don't think they're going to make the weight. You mm-hmm. know, and the the weight's not dropping, and there's some sort of a bigger issue. And as as a practitioner, the health and safety of a fighter's first, and I've I've had to have difficult conversations with the coach and say, look, I don't I don't think it's worth doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it it is very important not to just guess. It's always good to get some baseline measurements to work off, you mm-hmm. know, blood, body fat, and then you can work work from there. Mm.
0: So, okay, so. Once you have made that calculation, okay, I don't think they're gonna make weight. Like, um, like what do you do then? Do you tr- keep helping them? Try and work with them? Yeah. Or so, uh,
1: so I had an instance uh, about a month ago where I had a female fighter, and we were on a plan. She had to lose, I think, six kilos in eight weeks. You know, pretty pretty standard, really. Got the bloods taken out. Everyone's good. Body fat is decent level, and the weight just wasn't dropping. We adjusted, adjusted the calories, and then got to the point. It was like, I can't as a health and health and safety point of view, I can't give you X amount, I can't give you any lower calories than what you're on. It's just like, it's oh. not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something potentially, or another issue at play there. So I just said, look, you know, your health, your health and safety is my my, my main priority. I don't personally think you're going to make the weight. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough call to make, you know, especially people of trade. you know, fighters training two three times a day but at the end day, like what's you know one fight or the longevity of your of your life just for the water just for the um a weight cut and you know to be fair like when i've spoken to coaches about that they are understanding but it's it it is difficult but you've just got to think you know what going through a really big cut Mm. And it's day and potentially health consequences for the longevity of life. It's just not worth it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Like, um what's what's like the most Have you ever had like a time where like a fighter said, Oh, I just got been given this opportunity, I've got literally like two, three weeks to go. Do you ever just like jump on board straight away and help him? Or well,
1: The way I look at things as well, in terms of this tends to be more in like the professional side of things. So um the example I had um I gave you them was like an amateur, mm-hmm. um. So with the professionals, they're gonna they're gonna make they're gonna do that process anyway. They're gonna make the weight regardless if you help them or not. So the way I look at things, if I can do that the safest way, and you know I get a good sort of, I get them to get a body fat scan and the weight can be made. Then you know I've had guys three weeks out and they've had to lose. Eight kilos, but if they're still eating, they're still eating the right foods. Up, if they're, not, if they're not starving themselves up to then, then and they're eating a good diet, it it can be done. But so it it's all about context, really. You know what, what weight to fight and that and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it happens quite a lot. I have a guy like you know, two weeks out, three weeks out, one week out. You know, yeah. but it the way I look, think it's better to give them the safest possible way to do that instead of mm-hmm. let them do that on their own and mm-hmm. potentially, you know harming themselves oh fair enough
0: so you don't get any of those like emergency services like okay gloves are off okay <laughs> super super low calories okay you're gonna be doing this much cardio this much car- uh you gotta eat this much uh you never have like uh, one of those uh. um no I've, i think the most i've had i've like it's within
1: reason where like say you know you see what what weight they're fighting at and stuff and if it's an acceptable level so i had a guy he was seventy-two. He's a professional Muay Thai fighter. He's actually done on the video, um, on the Epsom salt one. He's really guy. He, really? yeah. Oh, he, had, he had eight kilos to lose in three and a half weeks, and he was eating well. So I thought, okay, do a kilo a week, and then we do the rest like the acute weight loss shots these fight weeks. So that that's okay. But then, for example, I've had someone come to me and say, "Oh, um, I'm fifteen kilos out when I got three weeks," and I say, like, mm-hmm. look, mate, like, mm-hmm. it's it's not gonna be, yeah, it's, it's not gonna be." You know, worth it, it's not yeah, going to be ideal. Yeah. And then that's when you go, that's not, that's a yeah, take a little bit of a step back and go, nah, <laughs> that's, not, that's not worth it. And you advise them against it, but
0: a lot of the time. Yeah, I think it just comes down to the mentality of them, really. Yeah. Like it's all it's all meant. They say it's all mental, you know. They just it's all in your head. Your body can lose as much as it needs to before a fight, and then when the fight day comes, you know, obviously they're not thinking about the weight cut. They're thinking about just going ahead. But I feel like it's one of them. One of the fighters that told me just, uh, that I spoke to who said, oh, when it comes to weight cuts, you're not thinking about the weight cut you're just thinking about the end goal you're thinking because you want to get in there because you want to get paid you know yeah. you want to get in the fight you want this opportunity and you don't want the whole concept of the weight cut and then oh, people say oh you shouldn't do it shouldn't do it and, that, and to them they have the mentality that it's just their naysay- they're just naysayers yeah. they don't want you to do it because it's no, it's not healthy but then again you've got go to go there's people who got to go to the extreme yeah. to get it now um one thing we also talked about that also got another question from the last podcast because we spent, obviously, we spent a good deal of time talking about weight cutting because yeah. it's so, it's so, what is it, talked about throughout all sports, yeah. in you know, especially in combat sports where people have actually died from it as well and then there's had to bring laws and sanctions on it. So someone t- uh, was talking to me, hey, man, the podcast you did, did you ever talk about weight gain? So that was something else I wanted to talk to you. So we talked about like, you know, the extreme uh, weight cut. So how much do you reckon if someone was trying to go up a weight class, what do you think th- could be the max amount of weight and time or amount they should be gaining per week? That's actually a very good question.
1: Um, it's it's quite difficult, really. To be honest, I've only had one client who's actually wanted to go up a weight Um yeah, it's, it's all about the time scale. Like, realistically, if you want to, you know, put on, you know, it's not a overnight process. If you want to put on muscle mass. Mm. It takes a lot of time to do it, and you don't want to do it too quickly. Um, so it's all about the time scale. Like, right, I've got, you know, in six months, I want to compete at, you know, welterweight and lightweight and mm. this this amount. Um, yeah, it... It doesn't happen that much to me in terms of doing like a weight gain plan, but as you probably know, as a personal trainer, it's Mm. you you can't just say, "All right, yeah, you need to consume, you know, four thousand calories a day." Because then they put put fat mass on. You want to go for around, you know, maybe like a half a percent or one percent weight gain a week, Mm. but it's very difficult to to actually put on the weight with the amount they actually train yeah so you're having to consume you know quite a lot of calories and it, it it's a lot more <laughs> i find it a lot harder to well it's, it's not more of a complicated process for the weight
0: gain than it is the weight loss there's mm-hmm. so many other factors to involve mm-hmm. yeah because i always found like you know when it comes to building muscle and all it's it's time and Not even that, but like for someone such a fighter, you know, we talk about, you know, stress, adaptation, recovery and all that accumulation, all those sorts of things. And to put on... Like muscle, you need to be resting, and yeah. obviously one of the things that we actually tell them down uh, is how tell them is they, they say, oh man, I'm training like eight times a week, and you know I'm eating all these thousands of calories a day, and it's just it's, it's not working, and yeah. I'm not training. I was like, dude, or well, the first thing I say, is I tell you to do less. Yeah, but when people get here, the concept of oh yeah, I don't want to do less, don't want to do don't want to back off, think I'm slacking. I'm like, no, I'm serious. If you take an extra wet rest day, uh, your body will thank you and feel a whole lot better for it because I always tell, and I can pretty sure you could agree with, agree with me and I know a lot of people agree with me. The best training sessions that people have is the one after a rest day. Yeah. Uh, so when it came to really gaining muscle, I mean, I, I say a health, usually a healthy way or a roll of thumb was, is I say, try, cause I don't focus too much on the scales. I try and let's say, try and gain an extra 200 grams or 250 grams for each week For the next few weeks And you must also Stay in a calorie surface yeah. um, Roughly I would say About two To three Two hundred To about three hundred Calories Above your maintenance And then slowly Start to build from there And then At one point Like have a day Where you sort of Cut back Because Obviously eating all this food You know It can be exhausting yeah. And you know it can cause stomach problems And binge eating So um, That's Eat- usually the way to go But one little bit of advice is if to say, could you give some tips on, obviously we just talked about calorie surplus, but like certain foods?
1: You want to be consuming like, um, a lot of sorts of liquid calories, because it's like easier to consume. So That's like a shake, yeah. um, you know, smoothies, just to get them carbohydrate recommendations. in. same, same sort of premise with like post-weighing. Mm. You want to be having like rapidly digestible, you know, easy to consume foods. It's sort of the same when you're doing like... Um, when you're trying to put on weight, mm. um, but also you you will you know you will put on a little bit of fat when you're in a in a It's it's yeah. very difficult to it <laughs> will near up impossible to put on weight without putting any any sort of fat mass on. Correct. correct, um, correct. So the real fun really like, you want to be aiming for at least you know two grams per kilogram, two and a half, mm-hmm. even on the upper end of that maybe three. A protein. The carbohydrate recommendations all, especially with a fighter it's 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 difficult with the training schedule. But you'd probably say around at least like five, five grams per kilogram, maybe going on six, and then as you mentioned, like a, a rest days, you know, there's not that need for them carbohydrates, so sort of drop it down a little bit, similar to in like a fight camp where, you know, rest day you do you do drop the calories down, drop the carbohydrate recommendations, increase the fat and the protein, but you I don't tend to get a lot of people trying to put on weight in the with the professionals i work with it's not really a thing to do where a guy will come oh i want to i want to move up a weight um mm. it seems to be a lot more like sort of the amateur sort of the amateur scene people like like the example i was saying that we, he was um 57 and he wants to go to 62 and it just took quite a lot of, it took three months to get there mm. um but as i mentioned before it's very like these equations to measure like you know what is the surplus from the training schedule it's a it's it's a lot more difficult than than your general person wanting to lift weights in the gym
0: yeah yeah true <laughs> true for sure um what was i say now because we're on a concept also obviously um talking about straight after waiting um like It's obviously very crucial. They've come off a period where, you know, they've just been starving themselves and rehydrating and all that. And how many, obviously, they've been in a calorie deficit. So, as soon as they come off the scale, obviously, this is a question that would vary from person to person. But, like, is there certain guidelines to the Amount of calories that they need to be consuming, or the certain types of foods that they should be consuming as well, because we talked about liquid kind of foods. Yeah, it's, yeah.
1: It's, it's all really based that the main, the main, the two main things post weighing, yeah, is fluids and carbohydrates. Yeah, so you they're the main focus. So, you know, my sort of thing immediately post weighing, focus on fluids. You know, mm-hmm. you've done a water cut, you want it to say you've lost three kilos in a court. you times that by 1.5 your fluid intake for that post-weighing period. Mm-hmm. And the carbohydrate recommendations, you want to be getting at least 7 to 10 grams per kilogram of body mass mm-hmm. um, in that post-weighing period. So um, I'll give you an example. So like they did a study um, a couple of months back where it was elite wrestlers and they lost 6% of the body mass through like low carb, low fiber, etc., And then post-weighing, they consumed seven grams per kilogram Oh, was, was it six, six grams per kilogram six, of yeah. body mass and carburetor so give an example for your listeners if it's 70 kilos time to buy six which mm-hmm. is 40 oh we're not six. Math, six. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so they had they had that within a 13 hour period and <laughs> then and they had that within a 13 hour period and then they took it wasn't a muscle biopsy but they took like um uh, scan on like the muscle glycogen content and they hadn't actually fully recovered to baseline levels mm-hmm. even with like six grams per kilogram of carbohydrate which is like quite a lot of carbohydrate. so it's it's more as as many as many carbs you can get in you know, liquid sources you know i recommend like chocolate milk always a good one it's always good for, for rehydration mm-hmm. it's got like a lot sodium carbohydrate, it's got protein chocolate milk um, <laughs> A lot, a lot of my fighters love that the chocolate milk really? as as, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay um so i'll give an example like a rundown what say someone weighs in at 12 o'clock say immediately have around 700 to a liter of fluid with some electrolyte powder in it like an hour later have something like a sandwich a wrap chicken wrap and um, with some chocolate milk five 700 ml chocolate milk and then hour or so later have like your main meal so Rice, bread, like a chicken fajita bowl, something like that. um Low in fiber, low in fat, and then same again. Have like a sports drink, even some like carbohydrate gels. Have you seen the? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. some carbohydrate. Gel, yeah, yeah. The they're around twenty to thirty grams of gel. Okay. And then a couple hours later, have a snack like some pancakes, and then have another meal. So you have around four or five meals, and that puts weight period, and. You want it, yeah, so fix, like as as mentioned before, like a 70 kilo guy, you want to be having around 700 grams of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just getting that, it's just making sure it's as easy as possible to get it in. It's not necessarily the calories, it's just carbohydrates and fluid and keeping the fat and the fiber low because with the fat, if you're having a high fat, high fiber, it slows down digestion. So you want to still keep that low. Um, same like a low fiber diet come mm-hmm. fight week. And yeah and then you don't work you don't really want to be affecting like pre-fight day um fight day routines i know a lot of guys like like have this you know, a typical routine what they do on fight day so you want to have that recovery period the the day before you want to get all them foods in the day before all that the carbohydrate recommendations you want to have all your fluid in that period mm-hmm. um but yeah you what you, it's it it is sometimes quite difficult to get in, but if you have the right foods like cereals, chocolate milk, gels, it it, it can be done. Mm-hmm. And um, but as I mentioned before about the like the wrestling study, it just shows you how important that is to get them to get that fu- to get that food in. Mm-hmm. And there's like a study as well where they did. Sorry, I'm rambling on here, but <laughs> they did a study where it's like uh, soccer players. They had like a low carbohydrate diet. And a high carbohydrate diet so think of the low carb this is like the day before a game like three grams per kilogram oh. and then the other guys had like 10 grams and then the, then the next then they performed a 90 minute game and they took um like a gps and stuff on like the, the the high carbohydrate carbohydrate diet covered more distance more high intensity actions more accelerations compared to low so you've got to sort of look at that and go okay well that's you can translate that into combat sports as well. Mm-hmm. So it just shows like the, how important carbohydrates actually
0: is. Yeah. Cause what I was taught is like 10 grams per kilogram of body weight. That's almost like a carb load pretty much in the one, using the one day method, we were taught like the one day method or the three day method, yeah. you know, and the, the three day method is like usually like six or seven. Yeah. But the one day is like 10 kilograms per day. Um. Now, in terms of, we talked about foods that you shouldn't be eating up to the fight, you know, obviously got fats, you got fats, you've got fibres. Um, one we do, talked about up there of is pretty much protein. It's one that was kind of like left out. Now, uh, for personally, someone such as myself, who's you know, always training and working with guys who want to train muscle, build muscle, girls who want to tone down and all that, also trying to reduce calories, we always talk about maintenance and protein. Now, there's a lot of debate these days about what is the ideal um, protein intake. You know, we, the argument is like, what is it? There's, there's not really much evidence that I'm aware of. Maybe I'm, I'm probably wrong about this, but the idea, all this extra protein has much of a benefit um, that I've read. Yeah. Uh, so like they say the, I think the, 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 everyone should be consuming about 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. And then there's bodybuilders or guys who train heavy in the gym that are consuming like 1.6, probably more than that of grams per kilogram of body weight. But that is just from a bodybuilding standpoint. Now, um, I want to know, what would you recommend as like the protein intake for someone who's like a fighter as well, because how much, how important really is protein intake when it comes to fighting, especially considering that, you know, uh, they unless they're doing a little bit of strength conditioning, they're not really doing that much heavy lifting.
1: Yeah. Um, with the example, of like a fight camp. Yeah. You know, you, they're going to, know the losing weight you yeah. don't want to you don't want them to lose any sort of lean lean body mass because no you know punching force striking yeah. that's yeah. all that's yeah all, all have a muscle so i i go around two grams per kilogram two grams per yeah kilogram. two grams right. so like a wow so like a I, I typically go for like a three to one approach so three grams per kilogram of carbs two grams <sighs> protein one for fat only because like the 0.8 gram recommendations. yeah that's for like sedentary populations Yeah, they're not exercising so you know a little bit of protein gets catabolized when you're exercising so the demands for an athlete someone who's training is higher and um it's been shown with studies where they've done you know high protein diet for weight loss yeah even like you know like 1.2 versus 2 and they've done it they've got like two groups and you know the group who you consume two grams per kilogram actually maintain the muscle mm-hmm. compared to the lower group, but actually lost muscle during that diet period. It's all about just picking out a research and right. um yeah. So you don't like there's a study that I put up the other day about like a slow and fat, fat fast weight weight loss program. Mm-hmm. So you know the slower the slower weight loss, the better mm-hmm. because you 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 tend to um maintain your muscle mass and actually sometimes increase your muscle mass compared to if you're doing it too quickly you lose you lose a lot of lean mass it's usually around seven so in a typical so someone who's overweight will tend to lose in the calorie deficit but tend to lose more fat mass than lean and then but then it's the opposite way around for an athlete because the leaner and they've got less fat it's it's where they're getting that weight from. So it tends to be lean muscle. So I always try and keep the protein relatively high Okay. in that period. Um So two, two grams. Two, two grams, grams wow. yeah. And then even way, when way it's off. like yeah. a rest day, we're dropping the carbs down, we'll yeah. maybe increase to 2.5. Um And I always like with with my guys as well as get, you know, an initial body fat scan. Mm-hmm. And then after you know, close to the, the fight or a couple of weeks out, get another one and see the changes because you know y- you want to be. You would say we, you want to you want to be as lean as possible, but like because obviously it affects like your punching force you know, and yeah. you've got more muscle behind you, and um, it's an area it's sort of overlooked in sort of combat sports about having the protein because a lot of guys just like when I see like food dyes or people tell me what they typically have like proteins like often sort of left left out. But then when they've been given a high protein diet, like I've I've seen guys and like they've been come like people have commented how lean they actually look and that's just by just manipulating the protein intake and actually having high protein. And yeah, um round round two two to two and a half I typically recommend. But then when it comes to fight week it obviously depends on the the size of the cut. So yeah. you, sometimes you drop it down to, you know, one point five or yeah. if, it's a, if it's a really big cut you drop it a little bit little bit further. Yeah, so I was way off. That's <laughs> <laughs> but but, that's, but the point good. the point eight is is was designed for like sedentary populations. Yeah. So um you no know, don't get me wrong, you probably if they did a study compared to 1.5 to yeah. 2 there might not be that much difference, why do yeah. always try and keep it the upper end. Yeah. Um yeah, I just I always try and go for the 2 and just and just l-